Hey guys, this is Table Talks with the Tares. Is it? <laughs> what I, else would it I'm be? I'm <laughs> blanking on. Okay. Hey guys, this is Table Talks with the Tares, an inside look at the everyday conversations we have at our table. I'm Ash. I'm MJ. And today we are answering a listener question. And this listener had a question for Ash. And so today we're going to talk about how it feels like for you to go from being a successful woman in their career <laughs> to being a much more successful mother of two wonderful children <laughs> and what that transition is like what your job was like before you left it mm -hmm. and why you chose to go down this path as opposed to another and so if you're wondering we will take the time to answer <laughs> the things you're wondering about yes we will answer all of your wondering questions. And if not, make sure you email us at ashley at honorsunderscore.com. Why does it always have to be my email? I don't know. It's you should be your name. Nah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. All right, love. So today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to answer a listener question. Ooh. And the question was an interesting one of, for you with where you're at how did you transition from being the chief talent development officer for the city of lynchburg mm -hmm. to staying at home full-time mm -hmm. not working outside the home mm -hmm. and raising two children yeah poof it's been a journey sometimes i still feel like the chief talent development officer except now i just have you know little talents <laughs> little talents <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know yeah what's the question again how did i get there how, how does it feel what's it feel like and so like arguably in the world's eyes this is like man you you cut your career short yeah you you made it to the c-suite yeah and you chose mm -hmm. to stay step away from it all yeah yeah, it's an interesting kind of transition in my life because I was in, man, a job that I loved. Yeah, I if you could have chosen or written a job description for what would have been somewhat of a dream job for me, mm -hmm. what I was doing was pretty much it, you know? I It, it fit your your strengths it fit my strength set so perfectly yeah and i really enjoyed the people that i got to work with yeah and under and you know just man it was such an incredible experience it was also a very unique experience because i got to work with so many different leaders across multiple different departments that were very diverse you, you, so you're talking city departments, like this is public sector, you know, so you're talking anything from public safety to like your library, your parks and rec, your, you know, water resources, public works, all these, you know, different places. And so with such diverse needs. And so the work was interesting. It was always different. Every day was different. Um, but also I got to work kind of, you know, work with the the C level leaders in their organization in their specific department, but then they would have me be working with people all the way down the ranks, you know, from 
senior level management, some mid-level management, so frontline. And so I really got to see this neat perspective of across a wide variety of departments, but then a deep dive in each individual department, which was just, it just was such a unique opportunity that I'm really, really thankful for. It allowed me to work alongside so many different leaders and see so many different, you know, types of leadership skills and experience. And I was able to learn from people who had experience for years Mm -hmm. and also those who had, you know, barely any experience at all who were just killing it, you know? And so, you know, then you also see the other end of the spectrum too, where you're like, wow, I can understand why people have a hard time working with you, you know, and why this type of leadership just can be really toxic for a team. You know, it can just suck the life out of it. And, um, so it really was just something I loved and enjoyed and I felt really good at and because it did align with my string set so well. Um, I got to build a lot of really neat relationships and kind of saw myself in that place, I don't know, for however long. Like I just really didn't even have a thought of not being in that position. <laughs> and then we come to 2020, we're about to have our first child And this is two weeks before the world is going to shut down from COVID. Of course, we didn't know that at the time. So it kind of just started this chain of events that really led me to making the transition from what I was doing to what I do now. Before you get into that, I think one of the things that I think was interesting in your job was how you could kind of see several sides to a story. Mm-hmm. By being able to work at different levels mm-hmm. of a certain department, and you would, you know, you'd hear a leader complain because their department was a certain way, mm-hmm. and then you talk to like the lower level mm-hmm. people who are actually trying to execute on the instructions or goals of the leader, and you would see a totally different side. Yeah, tell me a little bit about how you went about navigating meeting the desire of the leader versus affirming the critiques Mm -hmm. of the people who were working under that leader? It's a good question because sometimes I would feel like, is this conflict of interest to be working at like all levels within the department? Because I'm hearing the same story, but different versions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's the same. Everybody's complaining about something else, someone else (laughs) and pointing a finger at who the problem is. But I'm seeing the full picture, mm-hmm. having spoken to so many different levels within the organization and kind of getting this full picture of what makes this department operate and then seemingly what is actually the broken piece here, you yeah. know. And so I think just a rule I had for myself and how I operate and kind of what I always communicated to the top leader was, you know, I'm never going to speak poorly about you to your people. Like even when they complain about you, like I will listen to them and take their, I will take their critiques to, you know, like I will collect this data, but I will never use this against you, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And I kind of had to, in order for that to be a successful model for me to be able to work within that department Everybody had to know I, you have a spot, like a voice at the table, but 
we're going to move from complaints to solutions. So I hear that there's a problem. Trust me, everybody in this department's telling me they're a problem. There's a problem, you know? So like, let's talk about what needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I think just that's like a principle I had of learning. You have to be very careful how you speak about leadership when you're working with a department mm-hmm. um, because people who are working doing the front lines work will always see the leader as yeah. the problem the leaders will always see some sort of ineptness or fault in the people as the problem right and so i really was able to see that you know this thing because because a lot of people will say change comes from the top down And I do agree with that in part. I think it also comes from the bottom up and the middle out. Like everybody's got to be doing the thing in Mm -hmm. order for this to be work. And if someone's not, then it's not going to work. And so that's kind of what I learned in this process was that, you know, everyone wants to point the the finger and, and often at the leader. And yes, like the leader holds a massive piece of the pie. But so does everybody else on that team, you know. And so in getting the the team and the the teams and the department <laughs> to be able to head in a direction of like unity and cohesiveness and what they're wanting to work towards you have to give people space to express what they think is the problem and then really help direct them to what is the actual problem mm-hmm. and then move towards okay so now that we've identified the problem, what needs to be in place to make this basically like what barriers are you facing that make your job hard? Yeah. And how do we start alleviating those one by one? Yeah. Priority one, you know, let's focus on that. You got a list of 10 things. I understand that. Let's, let's like hit the biggest pain point right now. So essentially you try to get them to identify what part of the pie they own and control. And how can they improve that? Right. The advantage I had, though, was that, you know, I would gather the intel, I would hear from their people, and then I would be able to go to the leader and say, look, this is the problem. You're wanting your people to do X, Y, Z. These are the barriers that they're facing. And sometimes the leader would just be so detached from day-to-day activities that it's hard to see that. Mm -hmm. And I would be able to be an outside you know, object, more objective perspective because I'm not in it, in the thick of it, you know, and say, hey, this is what your your people are having a hard time with. So whether or not you see this as the problem, it is a problem and it needs to be fixed because they're feeling like this is making their work impossible, you know, or difficult at the least. And so I was able to bring some of those insights that a lot of times people don't feel comfortable sharing with the leader or are just not going to do it in an appropriate way because there's emotion involved, right? They're yeah. all riled up and everything's unfair and my life is miserable and the leader doesn't care about me. I could do it in a more objective way and say, hey, these are some payment points your people are facing and these need to be fixed. Yeah. If you if you want your people to get on board with where you're headed. I like it. Yeah, so that was something that I felt like you were always in between the lines. Yeah. And going to different sections of the department and 
the leader brings you to their department for a specific reason mm-hmm. because of what they think is the issue. Yep. You go to the area where you think you can address the issue. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different issue all along. Yep. And everybody's got their own story. Right. And it's interesting to be able to just be able to piece all of those things together, which I think think is what you found really I don't know. I found that really interesting and intriguing mm-hmm. because it's not always just the same. Not everybody's saying seeing the same issue in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you you love that stuff. So yeah, I really saw you enjoy and thrive in the environment where you're getting into a lot of what people like feel about their job. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you've you've you made a really good positive impact in your time there. So fast. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I like to think I did, you know, yeah. it'd, it'd be the people I worked with that you'd really want to ask about well, that. <laughs> so. You know, based on how these people still talk to you and want, wanted to hang out with you after working and all these conferences that I got to tag along that mm-hmm. you spoke at and things like that, I think it was rel- mildly successful. So thanks. Dear. So fast forward to 2020. Yeah. We're about to pop a kid. And you're cruising along and I think you were just like not long before then mm-hmm. you stepped into the like the full fledged city manager's side role, right? Like or mm-hmm. was it had it been a year yeah, at that it point? Had or? Been maybe like six ish months okay. or so. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I worked in the city manager's office. I, I was working not necessarily with the city manager in, in, in that I didn't touch any of the work that she did, but, um, I mean, my office was right next to her and she had, she kind of tasked me with things to do. And so, um, so tell me a little bit about how and when you had the change of heart. Yeah. So I envisioned, I mean, I worked all the way up until literally the weekend, you know, we, I went home on a Friday and I had Evie, we had Monday off. That's right. And I had Evie you on. made orange chicken Monday. Yeah. And then I had Evie on a Tuesday. And so yeah. I worked all the way up until I had her basically and yep. um, had every intention of coming back and saw myself as being a working mom. I loved my job and I wanted to continue doing it. We had Evie. COVID happened. We also had her. I mean, we've talked about her misdiagnosis before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then everything kind of changed for me in that time. I had to decide what's most important. I think a lot of people had to decide what's most important, you know, or were at least asking that question in that time. But I was really asking myself that with her misdiagnosis and not really knowing like what was the trajectory, how is this going to impact her? Was this fatal kind of a thing? And so in light of that knew that there was no way I wanted to be torn for a time. I went back to work. I did the work from home thing because of COVID, you know, and I was just so torn the whole time between trying to step back into the shoes that I had before having her realizing that I couldn't give at that capacity and also like be home with her. Yeah. Meanwhile, I wasn't able to be the mom that I want needed or wanted to be. because I would have to leave her, so, you know, sometimes crying to answer phone calls or be in meetings or um, 
you know, things like that. And so I was so torn between both. I knew I was not failing necessarily at both, but I wasn't able to fully give myself to my role and I wasn't in my work and I wasn't able to fully be the mom that I wanted to be. And so I had to make it, I knew for myself, you know, some, I think some moms can do that, you know, and split. I think sometimes it also depends on maybe the role you have. Yeah. Some roles I think just allow you more flexibility and just the ability to kind of manage those two things differently and the role that I had held, I just couldn't do that at that same level, at least. And so things would have to be like very much stripped back, yeah. which would have made me not, I don't know if I would have been satisfied with that. So for me, it was a decision between like I either choose work or I choose like being home with her. And I just wanted to be with her in that time. Mm-hmm. I think especially you know, in light of the fact that we didn't know how long we might even have with her. Mm-hmm. In a weird sense, we kind of still don't know how long we have with her. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. that we, there's something coming, but just that in some ways we forget about the brevity of life. And then in other yeah. ways we come to real terms with it. And I think we should start measuring more of our ways of how we spend our time with the backdrop in mind that we actually don't know anything about anything when it comes to how long we have with relationships and, Mm -hmm. and really just making the most of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think in this transition, I think I feel like I just want to say, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think every mom has to make that choice for herself and knows what's best for her and her family. I think for me and the season I was in with the decisions I had, and there's the circumstances I was up against. I knew I had to make a decision yeah. one way or the other. And I wanted to choose to be home. And so I did. And here I am still, you know, I, I didn't know how long that would be. Um, and, you know, I just, I think there were two things that were spoken to me in that time that really also kind of helped me make that decision. One was from a friend who reminded me, because I was really struggling with feeling like, man, I feel like, but this role is so influential. I feel like my work directly ties to the community that I live in, you know, like it's just, it feels so meaningful to do that kind of work in the public sector. And I felt like I'd be losing all this influence, you know? And my friend said to me, which I thought was a very wise thing. She said, your influence is certainly going, the scope of your influence is certainly going to narrow, but its depth will increase for Mm -hmm. sure. And when I thought about it that way, you know, I realized, yeah, I was influencing all these city leaders and, you know, that felt really important. But at the end of the day, like how influential am I really in their lives, you know, in my children's lives? So (laughs) like, we're talking generations, like hopefully I have enough influence in their life that I am not just going to impact their lives, but my grandchildren's lives and beyond that, you know, hopefully my influence goes beyond my children. And so in our family line, so that all of a sudden felt very important to me. Hmm. And the other thing was um, something that your mom actually said, 
which I also thought was very wise when I was just talking with her and kind of wrestling with this decision. She said, imagine what your retired self would say to you right now. Your 65-year-old self about to retire. If she had to look at you about to make this decision and tell you one way or the other, what way do you think she would tell you? Mm -hmm. And I just thought about kind of, not that 65 is like an end of life by any means, but like, you know, get, getting to like the last quarter, you know, and what I hear from people who are in oftentimes in that season, they say like, you know, I wish I had more time. You don't hear them say like, I wish I made more money. Mm-hmm. You don't hear, you know, you know what I mean? You don't often hear that. Well, I wish I had more things. I wish I bought a boat and all these, you know, mm-hmm. you hear them say like, I wish I spent more time with the mm-hmm. people that I loved. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about that and just realized like, you know, I still have, I mean, I say this after we just talked about the brevity of life. <laughs> I was like, I have my whole life ahead of me. But like, I just realized that this was an important time. Also a time I would not get back to. Right. Your mom said, along with that, she said to me, because um, she had a very successful career. You know, she retired. She, her, you know, you guys went to school and, you know, mm-hmm. however, whatever happens while she was at work, you know, you guys were cared for taken care of right you did well and um she said you know your kids are going to turn out fine no matter which way you choose but you she said i I want you to make this choice not robbing yourself of an aspect of motherhood you might not get back again Hmm. and so i realized that choice was more for me than what was i don't know this might sound weird what's best for them because they're going to be taken care of either way like my kids will be fine you know yeah. um but that was coming from a mom who worked the entire time yes she yep. had kids yeah so yeah what so what do you hope to be able to look back to your past to your today self in the future like what what what, what would you hope to be able to think or say about yourself for the years that you spent choosing not to work it's hard i struggle with it um i always tell you babe you can always come back (laughs) and yet i wouldn't choose anything else Hmm. you know it's hard i I think i wonder if moms on either side wish for the other side (laughs) you know what i mean like you kind of always look at the other side and you're like "Hmm, that looks real good that sounds real good I love clocking out at 5 p.m. Yeah, like you're you're like I don't know. Yeah. It, they both have really good things and they both have really hard things. Yeah. You know. And so um it's the trade-offs so you have to decide, you know, which ones do you want to choose. Right. So like given the trade-offs that you chose, what do you think you would hope to be able to say about your past self in the future? I in this season of motherhood where I don't feel like I can really ever clock out, I feel like I'm pulling 12, 13, 14 hour days every day. Mm -hmm. I constantly have to remind myself that this, my children have 100% of my time right now. Like I feel like they dictate my time. Right. A hundred percent of it. And 
I say that. And I also remember like imagining what a stay at home mom did. And I just felt like she probably did nothing all day. Like before, before I became kids. one. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, what do you do? Like, right. what does one do when they're a stay at home yeah. mom? You know, you're just like, I can't even imagine. You just have like all this time. Yeah. Now that I am a stay at home mom, I'm like, wow, I literally have like no, no time for the basic things of like showering, eating. Yeah let alone like all this self-care I'm supposed to be doing for myself as well. Like I can barely like, mm-hmm. like my kids needs swallow up my needs all day, every day because I'm constantly making sure Jude's not sticking his freaking fingers in the outlets <laughs> or falling down the stairs because he wants to climb up them right. every time I turn around, you know? And so it's just, you know, mitigating all these dangerous things our children want to devote themselves to all day, you right. know? And um, and yet, so my children own a hundred percent of my time right now. This is also the only time in their lives I will ever get a hundred percent of them hmm. because as they get older, preschool comes. Yeah. Well, comes. yeah, the, well, I'll be taking them places. They may be going to school or hanging out with friends. And as right. they get older, that just, there just gets more and more independence and time away. And, you know, and, and so I'm very mindful of the fact that Yes, my children own 100% of my time right now, but it's also the only time I have 100% of them. And I don't want to miss it. I'll never, like, I the words of your mom just kind of echo back in my head of like, I'll never get this back again. Mm-hmm. Once it's gone, it's gone. Once they're grown, they're grown, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't get do-overs. And so... Do you have more babies? Well... <laughs> 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 it's just, you know? Yeah. And it goes by so fast. When you think about a span of a lifetime, five years isn't very long at all. And so I'm as hard as it is, as exhausting as it is, some days I'm like, man, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't even know if I want to do this anymore, you know? Right. And not that I don't want to be their mother by any means, but just like the, the, like, the whole I, thing. I think I want to go back to work, you know? Um, and, yeah, so I wrestle with that. Yeah, I think every mom probably does. Just, I think if you were to ask moms on either side of the spectrum, like mm-hmm. working moms or stay-at-home moms, I think all of us are struggling. <laughs> you know, and in some way, it's mm-hmm. very hard for all of us. And so, this is just what I've chosen, and I I really am resolved to that decision. Yeah. And also, I want to enjoy it. I don't want to just wish it away while I'm in it, you know, and get to the end of it and wish that I still had it again, you know. So I want to be able to say, man, I really, I really enjoyed the time that I had and not because it was all perfect and we had these like perfect moments. You know, a lot of times it's chaotic. It's just straight chaos. But like I received the gift in the season that I had it, you know, I saw this as a gift that I have with them of time, you know, and I really allowed myself to receive that Mm -hmm. for what it is and not just resent it or feel miserable in it. You know, I I really fight against that. Yeah. You want to ready for a curveball? Oh boy. Here we go. So I think of just the differences between probably a little bit more of a communal structure in like a Filipino culture context uh-huh. where 
a mother who raises her kids probably has a lot of relatives, mm-hmm. family members mm-hmm. around to support. And meanwhile, I think in the more nuclear family style, hyper individualized culture here in the West, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of that yeah. as readily available. We kind of straddle a hybrid with that because we have Graham in our house. Mm-hmm. But I did want to ask how hyper individualized culture has shaped the way mothering is approached in how you've observed it amongst your peers Mm. and how that's changed the way mothers raise their children today (laughs) that's a tough question yeah i feel like you and i before we had kids were like very much we're we're gonna make our own way you know we lived 10 hours away from family by driving or playing, you know? And it wasn't that, it wasn't this sense of wanting to just, you know, rebel or stick it to either of our families by any means, but just like, we are going to do our own thing, mm-hmm. you know? And that's a very American way of thinking of moving away from the family. I'm paving my own way, yeah. doing my own thing. And the problem I guess maybe it's not a problem. Maybe some people wouldn't consider it a problem, but like what you encounter with that is that when you start to have children, your family is not nearby to help. And so now you have isolated yourself and, and yes, you can find babysitters and people who are willing to help, but you're probably going to have to pay them. Like it's not like having family there who also like, love your children because they are theirs too, you know, (laughs) like it's just different. And so it's funny because when we were married before we had kids, what I would see a lot is people would get married. Like they would move away from their families. They'd do their thing. They'd start to have kids and then move back to their family. Mm -hmm. People would comment about this all the time of like, you're just going to move back to your family. You're just going to move back to your family. So there's that component. Maybe I didn't ask my question. Well, what I'm trying to get at is, more of like what you're observing among mothers and how they're approaching mothering and how they're so different from like, there's all these schools of thought. Oh, and how the like parenting hyper- styles, parenting, not even just that, just like how, you know, maybe, maybe on top of that, just like the approach might be just so st- starkly different and how individualism has shaped or allowed this type of, style of mothering where yeah it's almost as you know it's almost as diverse as individuals are diverse yeah where there's almost like i don't know like you can't you almost can't question how somebody how you're mothering your kids mm. yeah i guess maybe are you getting at there's a lack of generational like knowledge transfer right and experience you're relying on your peers who are also in the thick of it learning. And like you said, there's a lot of different parenting styles. And so, you know, people might not parent the way that Mm -hmm. you want to or Mm -hmm. would want to, but that's the only example you have because Mm -hmm. you can't draw back on the knowledge of like your family members who have gone before you, you know? And so, or that's seen as like archaic. Right. You know, and and irrelevant to today's advancements. Right. Or like, you know, Filipinos, Asian parents beat their kids. 
that's just like common knowledge <laughs> but i think in austria i'm not sh- exactly sure if this is true i think it's illegal to beat your kids <laughs> beat them I think yeah you mean uh, spank, spank them, them. <laughs> and so it's almost just like this clash of you know and some really a, it's just an it's just an interesting observation that maybe more i'm trying to answer my own question here okay of like it's interesting to see how there's so many different approaches to parenting yeah it leaves people well i think what i was trying to say probably in a very long-winded way was that it leaves people out on an island to figure it out for themselves exactly and so you do end up finally i don't know like you get to a point where you're like either we're gonna just like survive out on this island or we're gonna move closer to family right like that that's your option because it is so it really does take mm-hmm. a village. It really does. And so, yeah, I I would say to to anybody looking to start a family, like consider who is around you. First. Consider who is around you and with you because yeah. you are going to need people alongside you. And, uh, you know, we did that without necessarily having direct family with us, but it's hard. It's very hard. And when Graham moved in with us, it was a game changer for us. Yeah. Even though it's hard to live with another adult, you know, or another family member, like, yes, 100%, it's super hard. There is a net positive gain <laughs> in being able to have extra hands available to mm-hmm. help when you desperately need help. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, the American like nuclear family really does isolate. I think yeah. young families looking to start their family, um, and I think little by little you start to find the drift back to like you know, right, moving closer to family. Yeah, it just goes back to my <laughs> like it just goes back to my affirmation of this notion where the Jeremy Pryor idea of rather than building raising up individuals we're trying to create a multi-generational family team on mission yeah and some of that also translates into just getting the help that you would need as a mom and as a dad in making sure that your children are being raised not only to think that they're not for for them to be raised to not think that they are generation zero Mm-hmm. and that they're the first in their family line but they come from a long line of family members that have done so much to get them where they're at today yeah i will say love in conclusion yeah that um i am very thankful that you do what you do to allow me to be able to stay home oh, with kids shucks <laughs> happy to is it too late to ask for a raise <laughs> <laughs> i love it is that good I was asking for me. Oh, for you. A race for you. Yeah. Nice. I'll give you a raise right after this. Well, hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Table Talks with the Tares. We'd love to hear from you. And if there's something you'd specifically like for us to talk about, visit honors underscore dot com slash table talks to let us know. And if this episode was helpful to you, be sure to subscribe and to also share it with a friend. We really appreciate your support. All music is from the OG MJ Tare. Join us next time for another conversation at our table.